Hi, this is Charlie Bauerfeind. You know, I used to work a lot with Saxon, and you're listening to Focus on Metal, and I hope you enjoy the show, or, you know, more my interview on the show, and, you know, stay true, do everything you can to keep hard rock and metal alive. Thank you very much. Hey, Metalhead, Scott Thompson here, welcoming you to yet another episode of Focus on Metal. This week, uh, finally get around to something that people have been bugging us about for uh, quite a while. We are back doing another Saxon episode. So this will make uh, Saxon episode five as we touch on Lionheart, the Inner Sanctum, and Into the Labyrinth. And uh, since we've made you wait so long between Saxon episodes, Richie went out of his way to make this episode that much more metal. He went out and got in contact with Charlie Bauerfein, the guy who actually produced those three albums, as well as Metalhead. So he's going to be our guest this week on Saxon Episode 5. So with Charlie on board, we'll do uh, kind of a reprise back on to Episode 4 again. Talk a little bit about Metalhead since, hey, we got Charlie here. And then we're going to delve into Lionheart the inner sanctum and into the labyrinth so of course with charlie on board there is plenty to talk about this week so uh there's no time like the present to uh, begin our conversation with charlie Bauerfeind. hey hey charlie yes yeah hi it's uh, richie here from focus on metal yeah yeah yeah, yeah okay that's... there's three albums you really want to get mm-hmm. into and that's lionheart the inner sanctum okay. and into the labyrinth but you did Metalhead in, in 1999. Now, how did you get on yes. Saxon's radar? How did they know about you? Oh, this was actually about uh, from a guy called Rainer Hensel. He used to be the manager or like the, the European management and, you know, tour booker. He was in the uh, yeah, live business a lot in the, in the 90s. And he's actually out of my area where I'm from. I'm, you know, I was born near Nuremberg. And so I knew him and, you know, I somehow got in touch with him about a couple of productions and he was doing Saxon, he was doing uh, uh, Motorhead and, you know, some other uh, American bands as well, in, mostly in, in Europe, like, you know, managing, doing the tour stuff. And he got me into contact with, with uh, uh, Saxon because he was, you know, constantly working with them. And so I got, you know, asked actually to, to do the metalhead thing because I'm, you know, more in, in the metal direction than in the, you know, real traditional hard rock direction. And, you know, for the for an album called Metalhead, that was kind of the, you know, goal to reach. So that all happened at that time at the uh, studio called uh, Trap Studio, Caro Studios uh, near Hamburg. And that's where, where I first met the guys and, you know, where we started working on this record. Yeah. And did you get heavily involved in the, in the pre-production and, and the songwriting before they came into the studio? No, this is, is, is I'm uh, not that much of a, you know, songwriter, uh, so to say. I'm more in the, you know, direction of, uh, uh, you know, sound producing. And so in the, in the, uh, on none of the records, I was actually involved in the pre-production. When I first hear the stuff, it's in the studio. The the the, uh, the, the metalhead record was a little bit different in the regard to that. Uh, when they started out, they didn't have uh, uh, you know they had to get a new drummer because at that time I think Nigel was out because of his back problems and you know, and they had like uh, uh, Doug joined the band, so there was a lot of you know new things going on. So what we actually did, like when, when I started out, uh, because they, they actually chose uh, Fritz Rando at the time, which I had worked before. It's a German drummer, as you probably know, that, you know, was a, uh, some albums with the band. Uh, and I knew him from, uh, from his former band, Victory. I have worked with him before. So we were actually already, you know, like in, over the weekend setting up, getting, you know, drum sounds. And then when uh, when Biff came in, we you know we decided together that they're basically gonna go through all the songs in the studio uh, with him, you know, and and uh, play together, you know, uh, we really work out the arrangements in a in a you know group situation, and everything was always recorded, 
uh, throughout the whole thing. And then at some point when he felt that they had the right feeling for the track, we just kept the guitars and everything. And then everybody had to leave, you know, the recording room for the drums. So we don't have all the noises and guitar, you know, stuff uh, uh, on the on the overheads and the drum mics. And then Fritz all, you know, played right away again to the track. So we pers- we, were, we were trying to get the right feeling for the song and then just recreate the drums right away to that feeling that was established during the, you know, group rehearsals in the recording situation, so to speak. Yeah, I'm sure it helped that the fact that you being a drummer, you were able to just be able to kind of help dial that whole thing in. Yes, yeah. This was like, you know, the, the main thing. Of course, you know, when you first work with a band, it's always... You know, I mean, they, uh, let's face it. I mean, Biff knows exactly what he wants. So, you know, he's a very strong character, as you probably know. So, he, you know, he's, he's, he's quite, I mean, I, I, I found a really nice, uh, uh, how we say that, you know, kind of a brain wire to him. You know, we were kind of, you know, not, not soul brothers. It's, that's too much. But, you know, we had, a, we had a really good relationship working-wise. And, you know, he was very open to consider stuff. And that's always, you know, the, the thing that I try to do at least, you know, to, to throw ideas at people. And if they get considered, then that helps a lot, yeah. you know, to, to, you know, take certain things in a certain direction, you know, which, you know, I would think is more appropriate than other directions. So, right. yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you bring that up because one song on here that always threw me off, and even if I don't listen to this album for like six months and I go back, is always track two, the uh, Are We Travelers in Time, because it's such a different sounding track for saxon but even for the yep. album as well it's got kind of a, a little bit of a psychedelic feel to it and all that stuff it's just a yep. a real different track yeah this was yeah this was one actually one of the songs that you know we actually worked quite a bit on you know to get to give it this you know this certain uh, uh you know this certain feel it it was it, it was quite n- not new ground you know but it was yeah a little bit different right than you know with, with all the other songs the same Sea of Life was actually also like the you know a very special song on that one. I love Charlie is a conquistador. I think that's a fantastic song. Yeah, except the fact yeah, that this is one more one more of the you know metal directed songs. You know, of course, yeah, yeah. I love that one. Yeah, yeah. definitely <laughs> a classic Saxon track there because it, you know Biff getting his history stuff out as well, and then yeah, the classic stuff. Yes, yeah, yeah, def- definitely. Did you find when you were recording the band that? Paul and Doug, you needed to re- get their like first or second take when they did the solos because otherwise you'd lose the like the, the spontaneity of it further on if you just kept doing multiple takes on it. Yeah, I mean this. I mean I started really really early with all this, you know, like uh, digital computer recording stuff. So in '99 or '98, uh, uh, when we actually worked on the album in the studio, I was already heavily in. in so everything got recorded, and yes. I mean, with Doug, it was different. I think, you know, I'm not, you know, giving away any secret, but in, in the beginning, like, Doug was, you know, had a lot of support from, from Biff and a lot of directional, how can I put this, guidance, you know, to a certain degree. Because, you know, in, in the beginning, Doug was more of a, can I say, more of a clean guitarist, you know? He had a, a very great technique and stuff, but it, there was not a lot of, uh, 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 in between noises, you know, that you know, I, I remember like what, what we always did on the records was for so-called noise tracks. Like, you know, in, in the, there's always songs where you work a lot on and then there's some songs which have to go, you know, because of, of time and, and you can actually spend on the whole production, have to go you know, a little bit faster. And we always were doing like, you know, noise tracks. And in the beginning, that was something that, you know, Paul obviously was much more used to than Doug, you know, even so Doug is like fantastically, you know, was already like a, a technically a very great guitarist, I mean, but he had a hard time to, you know, grab this, this, this in-between noise things that uh, uh, they wanted to have on the, on the tracks. And that was really interesting to see. So he had a lot of, you know, pressure on him from, from this side to, you know, get used to it because he was the new gun, you know, he was the new guy in, in the band. And yeah, that was, that was quite interesting to see. Mm, yeah. And because nowadays, I mean, it's just like, you know, he knows exactly what, you know, know to bend and, and, and what to do. But in the beginning, even so, like I said, he was a fantastic guitarist to, to start with. He had quite some time to, you know, get used to the, way of thinking so to speak in yeah Jackson. yeah i mean it must be interesting to kind of watch develop as well especially because 
you know, Paul's really is a, a different kind of guitarist, and he thinks about things in a different way. And yes. and so trying to slot in against Absolutely. Paul's thing, and then also be like this whole thing of like let's put fills in here and all that. That that must have been just pretty cool to sit back and yeah. watch. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, Paul, it's, it's, he, he always has been the, uh, how can I put this? You know, if you, you, you just have to, you have to let him loose. Mm-hmm. You know, he, if he, if you let him loose too much, he just goes out for lunch. I mean, he plays <laughs> stuff where you go, why the fuck would you play something like that on this train? <laughs> you know, that's what I remember. There was, you know, some things where we went like, what the fuck is he doing? <laughs> but, <laughs> but once you, but once you, you know, but you have to give him the freedom, you know, that he's not a guitarist that you can actually go down and go, I listen, you know, and when you hit this and this note in the solo, he wouldn't even know what, what note he just hit, mm. you know, not even, you know, doing something special with it. If you ask him to, he's just much more emotional. Sure. So you have to grab him from this side, which was really interesting. I, I give away another little story from the metal head because like I said, it was my first time and I didn't know Paul. I mean, I, I knew him from before because uh, I did one session with him. He did a, a guest solo on a Sergeant Fury record a couple of years before in a, a Hanover in the production. So I knew him, but you know, I didn't really work with him uh, up till then. And, and this was a weekend when we started laying down solo guitars because I had to learn what I just, you know, mentioned about the hard way because, you know, Biff was just, I mean, you know, obviously, you know, you, you get a little bit of a idea how people are in, you know, as a personality and how they react in the studio. And on Metalhead, it was like one weekend where everybody took off. You know, everybody said, ah, oh, you know, Biff had to go home, take some, uh, take care on some uh, private business. Everybody was gone. And so I was alone for like two days with Paul trying to lay down solos, you know, and he was just... It, 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 because if you don't know how to handle him, I mean, the first stuff we tried was just like, I was just sitting there and going, fuck, how am I going to play Biff what he just played? You know, I mean, this was so far out <laughs> and I had such a hard time to grasp how he works. I mean, it took me like literally this weekend. Then when Biff came back, you know, he, he was just laughing at me. He was saying, I just wanted to see how you do with them. <laughs> <laughs> He, he he didn't really expect something, you know, senseful in, in quotations to come out of it. I mean, we had, we had you know, quite some stuff on, on tape, but, you know, obviously not everything we were supposed to do. So it was really funny, you know. So, yeah, I, I learned it the hard way to deal with Paul. But, you know, it's a, it's a, if he play, plays something, if you get him in the right mood, he plays something outstanding stuff where you go, where did this one come from? brilliant you know this is this is if you get, catch him on the wrong foot you get some really odd stuff <laughs> <laughs> yeah now charlie you didn't work on the follow-up killing ground was there any particular reason why was were you yeah. doing someone else yeah this was kind of the uh hmm, there was a couple of things going on this was you know with with reiner hensel uh, had, had to do with reiner like i said i was you know i was also working with motorhead under his uh uh, uh control so to speak with the band and stuff so it was you know i i went on and worked actually with uh uh halloween i took a, a pretty long session i think it was three months or something like down on tenerife and stuff so i was not really available and you know it, it also was was the time where it kind of split uh, i split away from from reiner handel's control so to speak which actually the band did as well. I think uh, Saxon went on, you know, without Reiner after 2000 or something, after the, the Killing Ground record. So, and, and you know, then, you know, like Biff called me for, for the next record and, you know, asked me if I would be okay going over to, to the UK and, you know, produce it there with him. Nice. That was kind of the story. So I wasn't really available, but it was also kind of a weird situation, you know, concerning my personal situation with with reiner hensel yeah more than with the band mm. you know I'm, I'm pretty sure that that's what what happened there <laughs>
Wanda Lionheart. You know, Richie is is gunning to go yep. for Lionheart. He's all he's all psyched up here. But uh, okay, amazing. <laughs> the first time I heard this one drop, just like wow, this you know it was such a difference too from Killing Ground, even just from the. You know, you yep. look at the cover of Killing Ground, kind of plain and all that. And you, mm-hmm. This one pops out, and you're like, ooh, I, I think Saxon might be back, just looking at the cover. And, of course, you know, you go right into Witchfinder General, and you're like, yep, you know, great, great album. Yep. And, uh, and, uh, were you yep. equally excited about being back in the studio working with them on this one? Yeah, this was this was the first uh, one we did in, in, the, in Boston at NEMS studio, which is like, you know, it was on a farmyard. I don't know if you ever been there, or you know, it was on a on a farm, kind of uh, in a, in a, built in an old stable, and they had really like you know this old kind of you know like late seventies, early eighties kind of equipment. So when we you know when I moved in with all the new equipment, that was quite of an interesting combination. And you know we were we were kind of like you know going as a like in in between thing, we had like you know uh, uh, analog recorded and uh, digitally, you know, kind of a uh, how you say that uh, a mix between both worlds, so yeah. to speak. And it was and, and the the songs, you know, that they were they. If I remember right, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but as far as I remember, they did also the songwriting there. And I basically joined in at the end of the songwriting phase. So you know, they they. You already had like all the songs in a like you know not cassette recording but a DAT recording like a stereo recording kind of situation, yeah. and it was really really interesting. And then you know that the, there were some really great songs on this. Yeah, you know, which find a general and and, and he had a lot of th- this. This was always Biff. Uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I hope he's not killing me for giving that, but you know, it's always we went very fast into starting recording vocals. You know, as soon as drums are down and we have some bass and guitars, some basic stuff for the first songs, it was always like uh, he was uh, after dinner. It, 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 he, he always said, "Look, you can all record till like you know 6 p.m. or whatever. From after dinner, you know, I'm gonna start singing with Charlie." And then it was my, uh, mostly us two in the studio, and he was trying to fiddle around with like lyrical ideas and you know, getting a feel for the song. It was really very interesting to see him much more. I, I, I didn't have that in, in, in my head from the Metalhead uh, uh, production that much, but it was really interesting because I remember that, you know, we were even like watching some movies, you know, to live by the sword. You know, it, it basically was like the, uh, what was the, the, the Japanese movie that just came out? Uh, uh, the Last Samurai? Yeah, Last Samurai, yeah. exactly. We, we, we rented that one. Like every night when we drove back to the, uh, uh, well, we were on a little barn there, there where we stayed, all, all the band and everybody. So we all sat together, had a glass of wine, and, you know, fun, and always watching movies. So this one, you know, came up and, you know, then oh, this would be a, you know a great theme to sing about. So you know he had to, it, it. It always uh, uh, was kind of in the in the progress, you know. So even so, the you know he had always like the, uh, the the basic themes and the main themes already laid out. But you know a lot of things just happened, which is really interesting. It's really nice to have in a production, you know, when not everything. So so even so, they were were quite. You know, uh, uh, in the songwriting process, uh, writing together, they always wrote together. At least on the records that I worked with, they always were together in the in the uh, uh, rehearsal room or in the studio at that time already at NEMS, and you know, recorded all the stuff. And I know that you know, uh, the, the, the guys always told me, you know, that Biff is like, you know, can really get picky about. He goes like. You know, they, they write something and he goes like, if I'm not inspired by what you write, you know, how can I be, you know, write some inspiring lyrics, you know, and, and add my part to it. You have to, we have to work, you know, so everything you do is, is you know, inspiring me to do something special with it yeah. on the vocals. And that, that was the approach on, on Lionheart. As I remember, like an, on, on, you know, this was the record, but this was mostly prominent because there was a lot of things just, you know, happening, so to speak. We're not so much planned out. It was just, you know, it, it had a great atmosphere, this record, to yeah. record, like in the studio. It was a great uh, uh, creative kind of uh, work. Yeah, it, it's interesting, really Char- nice. Charlie, you mentioned that 
the place where they wrote the songs is the place where they recorded it. Did did they want to move into a different studio to record it, or like, did they ever say that to you, or did did they just suggest to you, look, why don't you just set up in the barn here because that's going to give you issues when you're actually engineering the record. I think, I, well, yes, it, it was kind of, a, you know, I mean, names were, it was, I, I'm not sure if it's still there or not, but it, it was not a, like, you know, uh, they had a really nice Cadec uh, console, uh, uh, all discreet, so no ICs, a really, you know, big sounding console, but it was very old and, and stuff. So they, they had some really great stuff, but the acoustic wise, it was not that, uh, uh, you know, Brilliant. Let me put it like this. But uh, as, as far as I remember, this was the first time where they went back there, because, like you know, like I said, Metalhead and Killing Ground. I, I'm not sure where they did the the uh, songwriting for Killing Ground, but I'm as, as as far as I remember, Lionheart was the first record that Biff made a point that this is was the place where they wrote you know great songs before. And, you know, it gave them a great feel. So, you know, I would, even if I would have said we go somewhere else for whatever uh, uh, technical reason or acoustic reasons, I think Biff would have overruled and said we stay there because that's where it feels natural to come up with something great. Mm, yeah. I mean, it is interesting to you. This is like a, a very historical based album to lots of stuff. And, you know, maybe also there's some inspiration there as well. You're kind of, you're not in like a modern studio and like some city or whatever, but you're out in the yeah. country. You you know, you're in a place that's got history because you, know, you just read down the track listing and, and a lot of these are just a, a lot of historical themes on this album. Yeah, that was, that was the that was the vibe there. I mean, it, it was like I said. I mean, I never been there before. For me, it was the first time, you know, to to get to to uh, NEMS, and and it it was it was quite uh, interesting to see, you know, because he had, like I said, I mean, I I know that they did all the songwriting there, and it it had a very distinct feel. Like I said, it was not a, a brilliant. Uh, uh, modern looking, you know, spacey or whatever. It was very, very pure. It was very down to earth kind of feel there. And yeah. I think that's what you can hear in, in the record. You know, that's at, at least how it came across to me, you know. Yeah. Now, Charlie, uh, there's a different drummer on this one, uh, Jorg Michael. Did you bring him into the band? Uh, yep. That was the, that was actually the, well, I, 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 as same as I worked with uh, Fritz, I also worked, you know, with uh, Jörg before on some other records way back then in the '90s. I think he played with uh, Running Wild. It was the first time that I worked with with, with Jörg. And uh, actually, when they, you know, when 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 it was clear that Fritz had to leave the band, they they brought in. You know, I was asked if if that's. It, it's always a, a question, you know, what kind of drummer you bring in or who could fit. And Jörg is a very energetic drummer. That's what, you know, he had a very, he's, he's a little bit more precise, you know, than maybe other drummers, like in, in the in the kind of, you know, alignment, but very energetic. That's, that's what made him, made me, you know, uh, uh, recommend him more or less. You know, I said, look, this would be a, a ch check it out. This might be a very good uh, idea. And, uh, you know, I knew that Jörg was a great fan of Metalhead because I remember we were sitting in, in the bus before the, in front of the studio and, you know, listening to, uh, listening to old Metalhead stuff, which I have hadn't been doing for, you know, quite a while. I mean, I was, you know, this, I normally when I finish a project, you know, I just, this is it. And then I go on and do the next one. So, yeah. That was was very different, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, so let, let's move on to the next album, Charlie. Um, this is probably yeah. my favorite Saxon record, The Inner Sanctum. <laughs>
This is the one to me where you got the right balance between old school Saxon and the heavier, heavier direction. Um, and of course, the, the big yeah. change to me in this one is you actually have Nigel Glocker back fully in the band. Yeah, Nigel is a, is a you know, he's, he's a, to a certain degree, I think Nigel is uh, very close to, you know, a ticking in a similar way like Paul. Nigel is very emotional. You know, Verjörg was very, you know, energetic, but also very structured. You know, Nigel is, is also very, very much into, you know, uh, playing things out of feeling, you know, doing something where you go like, yeah, this felt right in this moment. So let's work on it. You know, let's go from there. So it was more of a, uh, uh, you know, when we on, on Lionheart, it was very, on the drums, you know, we decided that's what we do. And then it just stayed like that. On Inner Sanctum, it, this was more free. It was more free in the uh, uh, regard to the creativity on the drums. Obviously, you know, when you bring in someone like, you know, who had already been in the band and, and you made his you made a standing as a creative part of it, that, you know, Nigel was, you know, to, to, you know, to get him on the side of, you know, getting him in to, to contribute his, his inner feelings again to the band, I, I thought was you know quite appealing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like I said, he's he's very very much like Paul. You know, if you get him in the right moment, you get a you know brilliant. If you get him in the wrong moment, he's you know it's it's not working. Mm-hmm. Then you have to you know do something else and come back to it. But yeah, you, this was very different. This is true. Yeah, and and of course you know going back to what Richie said, I, I almost think that that the inner sanctum is where like the sound of modern Saxon gets born and i think even the 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 way that this got mixed i think still carries through to pretty much everything that they they even do to this day because i don't think they've ever fallen into the uh the trap of just like massive drum sounds and all this that that it's all seems to be nicely tucked in behind biff's voice and just you know every instrument has their space in it i think it all starts with this album this is this is true yeah this this was a you know the turning point. Like I said, I mean, on on Metalhead, it it was the idea to go more in the metal direction. So that had a very distinct sound too. But you know, m- more metal oriented. Uh, with Killing Ground, they went kind of you know back to the old direction. But you know, somewhere in between. And then, like like I said, Lionheart was more of the uh, like a, a very creative and and I just can say that ex- experimental a little bit to a certain degree. And Inner Sanctum was, you know, it, it also came down to being the record where the band now was totally together. You know, over, the, over I think, from Metalhead, where, where uh, uh, obviously, you know, when, when uh, Dark joined, you know, this was a new new playing game. And, you know, when, when they, when, when finally Dark was in, and then when, uh, when Nige uh, came back to the band, that was, you know, a big turning point in, in the, yeah, in the in the uh, in the natural grounding of the band again, Th- that I can hear. I think you can hear in this record yeah. you know, that I think Knight made a hell of a difference in that regard. Definitely. Yeah. Did Did you find, um, especially with this record, and maybe even with the other ones, that because the band were going in a heavier direction, yet keeping their old sound, that Biff needed a lot of guidance in his vocals because he'd have to use his his whole range a lot more than maybe on previous albums. Um, yeah, I, I, well, I, I mean, what I remember on on this one, and that, uh, if I'm not totally mistaken, that this this was the record where they also did this Channel Four thing, right? Yes. Do you, do you remember this? Yeah, they did the channel. Yeah. yeah. So, so there was a. It was kind of funny, uh, but I mean, I'm going to tell it anyways, uh, because it's it, not funny. It's sometimes we had a very, uh, to a certain degree, not aggressive. Aggressive would be the wrong word, but kind of a, a, a strained feeling in the studio. You know, I remember even like, you know, when, when, the, when they had arguments and it was always arguments. I think, you know, bands that argue about creative, you know, outcomes and creative ingredients of records. You know, they they turn something more special out than uh, if, if there is no uh, discussions. I think until a certain degree. I mean, it has to be in balance, obviously. But this record, you know, in, in Lionheart, everything was very positively creative. And in, in, in the Sanctum, there was a lot of tension, not between the, the musicians, but because of this Channel 4 thing. 
this was like hanging over the whole production, you know, and it was like there were like camera teams around filming, doing this. They went down to London, record the single separately, coming back. And it, it was always, it was very hard to get them actually back to the, you know, sometimes I had the feeling they were were going a lot into this commercial direction in, in uh, brain-wise. And Biff was very much in... in uh, uh, you know, opposing. I mean, he had, uh, you know, I don't know if he had problems with the whole uh, Channel 4 situation, because I think it also, you know, helped the band quite a bit to, you know, come come uh, get back some uh, attention and stuff. But like musically, and, you know, especially by the interference of the whole thing into the record, you know, he, he, got, he got powered up. I think, you know, a lot of this, you know, uh, 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 you know, range-wise, and and this this different feel in singing on this record is due to this, you know, whole situation with the Channel Four thing. I I would really, you know, nail it down on that. Yeah, like there's some. I think there's some amazing tracks on this. Uh, State of Grace, the opening yes. track, is 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 absolutely amazing yeah. as an opener. Is it, would that would would, yeah. would because like come on, Charlie? Uh, uh, because you know, like like from the from the working process. It was pretty much the same as we, like I said, as we always did. He, you know, he, he picked up. He was starting singing very early, and he always had this, you know, try to evolve the songs and stuff. But I think, you know, like I said, like the a, a certain. Let me put it like this: when we were working on the songs every night, certain you know attributes got added, you know, out of the pure emotional state of this. You know, in, in the whole situation, sometimes positive, sometimes more aggressive or tensiony, and and this really, you know, was flowing into the to the whole music at that time. I'm, you know, I'm very much convinced that this played a, you know, Attila the Hun and and, and all this, you know, also very aggressive stuff. But yeah, this was it was the 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 Zahn der Zeit, we call it the tooth of the time. Yeah. The literal translation. I think "Let Me Feel Your Power" is probably one of the heaviest and fastest songs they'd done at that time. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, what? Yeah, I'm, cu- I'm curious. Just, hmm? a, just a general question, Charlie. Um, what, what, yeah. what songs out of all the ones they brought to you would make you go, "Okay, we're we're doing that one first. Which would would it be up to you to pick which one you'd start with? Um, now this was more like, you know, it, it's like I said, it, it, if you have to deal with people that are, you know, that much, you know, involved emotionally in the whole performing process, I think it's crucial, you know, to, to, I couldn't even tell you, I would have to really look it up on the hard drive to see what song we recorded first on the drums and what we started first with on the, on the vocals or guitars. It's, it, this is more really like the, you know, it, it's up to the state of mind of the of the of the person that has to perform. So I'm pretty sure, you know, it, it's you know, it was Biff who picked the song, and the and the, and the, the song that he wanted to work with. You know, coming back to the same emotional state, whatever it was that happens during the day, he would call up and say, "Look, tonight I want to do you know, state of grace because I feel this," or "Tonight I want to do you know, Attila the Hun." This it it really worked like that, you know. When 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 he had the feeling for a certain song, then he he picks this, and he knows his feeling better than everybody else. They all start very differently as well. I particularly mm-hmm. I love the I love the way this album starts off. It just I don't know what it is. It just it just sucks you in and it gets you to a certain place on the song. But um, was that something you guys yeah. really worked hard on in, in deciding how you were going to start each album? Well, I I think in the you know once. Once the band had, you know, done all the pre-production and, and you know, once once the songwriting is basically uh, uh, set, you know, and once I, I think Biff would not let loose on the songwriting process unless he has a feeling throughout the whole record and that he has some sort of idea how it would work. You know, in in the because like uh, like a record, you know, if if you have the right ingredients for song wise, then it also it, it's like a song. You know, you would not start with a B part at the beginning. You might, you know, I'm not saying that it would be totally wrong, but you know, you, you have a a record has to work like a song. It has to take you on a journey, emotional. It has to draw you in, cool you off, bring you back up. You know, and 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 I'm pretty sure. 
that, you know, it, I, I know that we always, you know, have obviously the, the trouble to have the more commercial songs worked in, you know, because they, they just need to be, you know, in there. If I was you and I've, I've got to rock to stay alive was, you know, this classic songs. And, you know, to put that in, the, I, I'm not sure if he had an idea to begin with to, to do precisely that order. But I'm very sure that uh, he had a, a very good idea and, and that we, you know, when we started working on it, it, it felt naturally to work like that and to actually have it end in this order. Mm. Of course, you know, we play around. It, it's always the same. You know, you have to have a strong beginning and a strong ending. And, you know, this is because that's what they said, you know, in, 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 in these days, it was more like, okay, when you start listening, when you go to a record store and you listen to the first song, it has to draw you in. When you listen to the last song, it has to make you want to listen to the first song again. You know, it should not like, you know, cool you off. So you're away from the record. You have to have the state of mind of, oh, I want to hear it again. So yeah, in, in the, in the order, I, I'm, you know, as far as I, I remember this, I'm, I'm very, almost 100% positive that Mio Biff had a very good idea from the very beginning how this record, you know, was put together. Yeah. So it, it was, I really, you know, when, when, I, when you work with him, it's, it's like, you know, you have to uh, adapt to his way of thinking. Yeah. It's, 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 it, he always had this, had, had this, this uh, what was one of his speeches he always said? He always, he sometimes just asked me, on what hidden agenda are you right now? <laughs> you know, and, and, he, he, and he was just sussing out how far I'm, you know, drawn into to his way of, you know, feeling things. Not so so much of thinking. You know, he's not manipulative, but he wants to draw you in. So your your emotion is is with the work process. He's really really good in this with all these guys. You know. Yeah, it's interesting, Charlie. That you know we've you've mentioned nearly every member of the band. Um, you haven't talked about Nibs mm -hmm. Carter once yet. Was he easy to get a performance out of? He is very easy. He's, he's very energetic. He can be, you know, from time to time. It's, uh, I remember, not, not, not in a sanctum, but I remember on, on uh, or maybe it was in a sanctum. I, I think it was on in a sanctum. They once got in a fight. Him and, and Biff got in a fight because, you know, <clears throat> Nips, it's, it's very, you know, emotional and he's, 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 you know, fantastic bass player. I mean, you know, with, with this technique, he has like, he has the power. He's a real bass player. Very often you find, how can I put this, you know, guitarists that lost two strings. <laughs> That's the worst ones. If you know what I mean. You yeah. know, he, he's that, that a, would be a, a me when I was bass player. Bass. Yeah, that would be me. <laughs> no, I, no, no offense. And I'm very sorry. I didn't want to offend anybody. But you know what I mean? It, it's like more... You know, guitarists play bass differently. Mm -hmm. And, and yeah. you know, Nips is, a, you know, fantastic. But he's also, I always had this feel he's like the, the, the young, I, I don't think he is. I don't think he's Scottish. But he, has, he always had this feeling of Braveheart. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you watch him and you, you have this feeling. He could be standing in the, you know, highlands in, in two foot of snow, whatever, barefoot and play his bass. This is the energy that he brings across. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, because he's also like, you know, the younger guy, he is like very, you know, he can be very offensive. Let me put it like this. You know, you can, you can, if you want, I mean, I'm never, you know, I never tend to get into fights with anybody, but you know, if, if you catch Biff on the wrong foot, yep. Yeah, you can fuel some, you know, things that might go a little bit different than you would think. And as far as I remember, they, they had one fallout, you know, where I don't even know what they were, you know, uh, uh, arguing about. But it got quite loud in the studio, which is always, th this is the time where I leave the studio normally, <laughs> you know, when people start yelling at each other. But like I said, this, this, it was a strange feeling on this record. It, it had, and it contributed to the outcome. You know, in in a in a very positive way. I mean, I'm not saying you know that this was. I had records with other bands where where I felt like fucking hell. You know, tomorrow everybody's just gonna take off and this is it. You know, but no, no, no. This on on this one it was totally different. But yeah, Nips is you know fantastic. It's very very creative. He was also always when when you know he, sometimes he played me ideas. That were never taken for the or considered for the uh, uh, for the records, which were very modern. You know, he always brought in very you know 
modernish kind of riffs and you know a biff adjusted always very well to you know what was brought in and what he wanted to take in to to the to the Saxon world so to speak and which which stuff he would not allow to enter the Saxon world let me put it like this so yeah some of the stuff was really really modern that Nips brought and you know some, you know and then we some stuff we turned into something really uh, uh, you know Saxonish. And, you know, some stuff, you know, uh, Biff did not go for. And this was always very easy. You know, recording-wise, no problem at all. He has his shit down. When he comes in, he knows the song. He feels the song. They actually all, all do because when they work out the songs together, they get a very, you know, precise uh, way of looking at things. Mm -hmm. Before yeah. they go into the studio, yeah, and, and you know, and, and of course, you know, this Nip's coming in, and and even though there was you know people between him, but the the fact that you know part of the Saxon appeal always in the early days was just was was the bass that uh, Dobby would lay down. It was kind of a, a hallmark, and Nip's yep. has really come into it and, and made that his own as well, and just added to it. So yeah, a lot of respect for what that guy's yep. done in Saxon. No, absolutely, yes, he is. He's like I said, he had a very fresh approach, but very. It, it fitted the band right away. Like I said, you know, in, in the beginning, uh, on 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 Metalhead, it, 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 I, I don't remember any problem, you know, with with uh, uh, with Nips. That was probably, you know, the reason why I didn't even mention him because, like, like I said, when you first work with a band like with Paul, I had a ooh, weird, you know, instances. I, you know, had some weird instances with uh, with Buggy in the beginning. You know, seeing, you know, how he had to adjust. But Nips was always very easygoing, unless, you know, he gets very hyper about certain, you know, things. And then, of course, sometimes they get into fights, which, like I said, it's, it's more funny than anything else. But it can get quite loud, with yeah. it, believe so, it or not. Yeah, so, so <laughs> let's move on to the next album, um, Into the Labyrinth. Okay. Um, This one was recorded in yeah. Germany and not in England. Was there any particular reason why? Uh, no, I think this was also, as far as I remember, this was the decision from Biff again, because I don't think he wanted to work in Boston again. It, it's like it, it was his hometown. I think it was it was, was more a reason of being away. He didn't want to be drawn in into the, into the homey kind of feeling. So you know he 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 set out on a. It, it might have to do that they also played some. If I'm not totally mistaken, he had his trailer home with him, so it might have been. Uh, I, I'm not sure if it was in in the summertime or the warmer time, but they they might have played some concerts in between, hmm. which also you know contributed. If they played some gigs in in Germany, uh, here and there some festivals, then they you know they might have been here as as well. But I'm not a hundred percent sure because I had that with. Motorhead had it with a couple of bands that, you know, when they were touring here or playing festivals, that they were in and out of the studio. So, yeah, we did that here in Germany. This is a different record, again, from the Inner Sanctum. It's not as heavy. I think it's a little bit more, yep. more it's definitely more varied. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and I think yeah. there's a lot more vocals, I think, on this one, a lot of layering of the vocals. Now, you can tell me if I'm completely wrong here, but that's the impression I get from this record. No, that's, I, I think you are right. This might have to do, this might sound uh, stupid, but <laughs> probably it's not. Uh, uh, Into the Labyrinth was uh, the record where we had, which we recorded at a studio from a band, German band called Blind Guardian. If you, if you might know them, whatever, but they, they are known for a lot of, you know, vocal, you know, arrangements, big vocal arrangements, choir arrangements and stuff. So this, uh, you know, might have actually something to do that we, we were all a little bit more in the mood of putting on a lot of vocals. Hmm. M- might be true. I Really, that, that I could not tell you it precisely if this is true or not. What I remember about this one, that we every night drove like 15 miles to go to an Indian place. There's one, you know, in the neighbor, in the neighbor city where the, stu- the studio is outside. It's also in a barn. So it was not that, not that much different than NEMS. Uh, uh, but in the, in the city, like I said, about 15 miles away, there's a nice Indian place. And we always went for the Indian stuff. Uh, that one I remember. <laughs> which is, you know, a side effect. It probably had nothing to do with the uh, uh, vocal arrangements on this record. Yeah, yeah but it, it definitely happened in a different environment, in a different kind of feeling. Yeah, there's one, there's one particular song that makes me mention the vocals, and that's that's Valley of the Kings. There's mm-hmm. a lot of vocals going on okay. in that one. But this, the, you know, this, as far as I remember, this one, this was, you know, again, you know, ha- happening a lot because it it had the. You know, he wanted to have this, uh, you know, a constant, constant wash. And this, the whole feeling of the song is, you know, basically constructed around the vocals, mm. as far as I remember this one. So, so maybe that 50-mile so, journey yeah. every night to the, to the Indian place, maybe that's what inspired Slow Lane Blues, is it was like, we're hungry, we need to get damn dinner? Is that kind of where that one came from? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably that's the reason why. <laughs> no, the, the, the British like Indian food, so I... Even so, when, when I worked with them at Brighton, you know, I did a couple of things with them there. We, we went for Indian food every night. So, yep. And it's also interesting that this is this album actually has some kind of in, interstitial type stuff in here, like the premonition in D minor. Was that just kind of a, a fooling around thing that kind of shaped up and you said, yeah, let's let's put that in as, as an intro? Was that an intended thing? Or uh, I think, yeah, he, he had a couple of this, this uh, uh, I think, the, what was the other one? The letter, the letter or something? Yeah. yeah. I think, you know, it was some some short transitions that, that Biff wanted to have between certain songs. I'm also quite... Uh, 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 as far as, as I can remember this, it, it, they were not placed coincidentally or, you know, just, they, they always had something, you know, the letter before Valley of the Kings and, and, and the premonition in D minor before the voice had, had, you know, sense in the, in the creative process. That's, that's what performed it. Mm-hmm. I'm, uh, it's also interesting I'm too. very sure about on on the voice that uh, mm-hmm. the 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 way that you guys did the production on on the break section of that was was a, quite a bit different than a normal Saxon song. Yeah, yes, this is absolutely. I, I think also we had we went back to a different vocal setup at that time. I'm not a hundred. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I, I remember because at one point you know I found a, a very special microphone that Biff uh, used to have on Metalhead. Uh, and I've, I found one per coincidence, and there's only uh, six or eight of this model uh, around this planet. Because someone built that. It's a, it's a C12 Bava AKG uh, uh, remodeling thing. Mm-hmm. And oh, I yes, think he yeah. found this. It, this, not, this not, yes, yeah, yeah. He, and and he, he, I found it per coincidence uh, uh, at, a, at a dealer. He had it lying in a shel- on, a, on the shelf because he took it in for when they closed down a studio. It was a real big coincidence, and then we got like the the, the telephone uh, mic pre for it and stuff. So this, it also you know stuff like that. If, even if it's like minor things, it contributes to certain things you do because you, you know, all of a sudden you like certain sounds and certain things flying around, and it's you know 
it, 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 it triggers creativity, yeah. let me put it like this. Oh, yeah, I know. That's true. I mean, that's one of the big things with a lot. Of, I think a lot of English studios is the fact that things like the Caddick board you talked about. I mean, you're not going to find that anywhere in the States yes. or, or even in the States, you're not really going to yep. find anything that's any kind of telefunk and mics or, I mean, things like that, that all these studios yep. have these amazing mic lockers. So, you know, to hear that something like that would spark it, it makes total yep. sense to me. Yeah, no, absolutely. They have that. You know, it's very... Well, the, the British studios have, you know, that, that certain equipment that's just made there and, you know, comes from there that, you know, contributes to the whole overall feel of things. So, absolutely. Right. Yeah. No question. So, Charlie, just a couple of quick questions before we leave you go. Um, yes. Of the four albums you did with Saxon, which one is your favorite? I probably have to quote uh, uh, the, what was it? Lionheart. I think Lionheart was... A, a, a very important album because oh, I was quite young at that time was was Metalhead, but my favorite album is Lionheart. I have to say, okay. this this has so much memories about you know the creative process and such great var- variety, and you know it, it's just a very broad album. I, I really like this one and a lot of you know of, of the stories that got you know meshed into the whole uh, creative pro- process. Lionheart, very very nice record. Yeah, and just a final question for me then. Um, I asked some of the listeners to submit some questions to ask you. So one of the guys um, sent me in a question. He said, like, you've been engineering and mixing for a long time, and one of the things you hear about now is how loud all the albums are. Like, they just seem to be loud. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to know, what's your your take on all that now, and how do you actually combat that when you're mixing it? Uh, It it is, yeah, it's a a hard one. It's it's a hard one because... yeah, people like the the the, uh, the hearing of people. If something is louder, it sounds better. This is this is the unfortunate thing. To, to be perfectly honest, you, you you have a hard time battling it because you you know you want to have the dynamics in the track and you want to have it in the you know in a, a record like Saxon, you cannot you know kill. Uh, 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 dynamically and get away with it. it. It would not work. So you have to have this dynamic in there, but it also has to sound loud because if you put it to something else that is just louder, and that's why everybody's trying to be louder than everybody else. I mean, you know, everything's louder than everything else. <laughs> and this is, this is what, people, what people are trying to do. It is very hard to get away. I'm not sure... If it really is, because you see so many, you know, the technical aspect of it, you see so many uh, uh, recordings sound really great and be really loud. And some are, you know, sounding shitty when they are, you know, have a lot of dynamics. So it's it's not so much about the, you know, dynamic. It's, it's more, it's a whole concept. It's a sound concept that you have to develop for yourself. But I think it, it's not like what they're trying to do now. They're trying to regulate it. And I think it's it's basically I don't care how how a record looks like like level wise you know when you put it on a screen it's oh this is all flat this is all flat and then you hear it and it sounds fucking brilliant you know and then you hear something else that you know has all the dynamics from the seventies I know that there are pages on on the internet where you can actually you know see like the uh, dynamic range of records and stuff and you go like. Yeah, but this record sucks, you know, like sound-wise, and it has a great dynamic range. And this one doesn't suck. This is great, but it has a you know little dynamic range. So you know, I don't believe that it has to be regulated. This is what I hate about it that they they're trying to make every everything sound the same. Yeah, it has so much to do with individuality. You know, in the level, the same as the sound of bands. I always try to give every band. Uh, you know, their own sound and their own character. Otherwise, I, I don't, you know, I don't believe in doing the, the things, you know, twice for different clients or different bands. Sure. That, yeah. that ain't working for me. Yeah. And, and obviously, you know, you listen to these albums and you can, you can tell you've really, you, like I said, you, I think you honestly birthed kind of the modern Saxon sound. And, and, and I agree. I think also yeah. what I see a lot of these days is, a lot of people that, that do the mix, they just basically push the faders up and then they cross their fingers and hope that the compressors are going to crush everything back down again. And yeah, it's, it's. I think you know, it's, it's till a certain degree you get forced into it. You know, to, uh, forced into it because everybody wants 
uh, to have it sound the same. You know, you, it's, it's, I always, I'm always happy if I do a record and I have people hating it and loving it mm. because that means that there is something special. Sure. If, if, if it's not talked about, if everybody goes like, yeah, you know, it's okay, um, uh, that's what I hate. You know, if someone hates it and goes like, well, this is a fucking, you know, dull sound like this or oh, way to this, then, then it's fine. This is, this is exactly what it's all about. They don't have to sound all the same. And a, a lot of, you know, newer productions just try to sound like something else. I never tried that. At school, I always tell the people that the, the, the really most hated class uh, assignment I had at, at Berkeley was, uh, it was called Sound-Alike. You know, you, you had to re-record -re something, no matter from what era, from, from the era from the 70s or 60s or 80s, it didn't matter, but you had to get the sound as close as possible to the original. And I, I hated that. It was what the most stupid thing. Why would I try to do that? I mean, uh, you know, also sound and, and the whole record is, is a capture of one moment. Right. And if it sounds like that, it, it does sound like that for a reason. Mm -hmm. Like, you know. Sure. That's just what it is. And, and if, if people don't like it, fair enough. You know, and if people love it, fair enough, too. And yeah. Of course, we all want to, you know, please people and, and, you know, have them be happy. But it, sometimes, you know, it just goes a different way. Yeah. You know, I like the work you do. You know, you, you do a Saxon album and it's the personality of Saxon. You do Hammerfall. And you yes. make Hammerfall sound like Saxon. You make Hammerfall sound like Hammerfall. Yes. The same thing with, yes. with Gamma Ray. With exactly. everything you do, it yes. isn't like it isn't like you you put a uh, you know this other ultra producer stamp on it like some people do. It's like no. you you play no. to the strengths of the band and their personality is, is in there. And I think that's something I really appreciate about, exactly. about your work. This this is but 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 uh, like I said, like you know, a lot of uh, said about the the Saxon record also counts true for that. I try to listen to everybody involved in the creative process. You know, I always go like, if, if you give me a reason why you're trying to do something, I might give you a hint maybe to bring it out better if we go this and this and this direction. I would not try to, I mean, I had, I had bands where, where we did records when they, when they said, oh, this was way too commercial or whatever. And I go like, look, I'm not the one who makes the call. How You know, they write songs and that's a snapshot of their career. And then you try to, you know, help them express it in a certain way. And as long as you do that, you, you, you know, you, you're not going to end up with uh, two bands sounding the same. You know, right. just, you know, tr try to feel what they feel and you will come out with, uh, with something that, you know, characterizes them and not someone else. All right, Charlie. All right, Charlie. Thanks thank again very so much, much for coming on the show, and uh, have a good rest of the day. You too. All have right, a, Charlie. Have fun. All right, thank say you. Hello to, say hello to everybody in the States for me. I will. Will do. <laughs> All right, Charlie. Okay. Bye. <laughs> okay, thanks a lot. Bye-bye. There you go, Saxon episode number five, finally in the can, and I really I can't believe how long it's been since we did a Saxon episode. Last one we did was on episode 251. That was back on uh, September 30th, 2015, so yeah, it's been a long, strange trip between then and now to bring you Saxon Episode 5. And, you know, when we do these Saxon episodes, it's usually three discs at a time. And at that time, we we're only looking at a Call to Arms and Sacrifice. But now, conveniently, it's been so long that, of course, Saxon put out the great Battering Ram release in 2015. So we're back to a nice trio of albums to cover on Saxon Episode 6. But if it takes us as damn long as it did to get out Saxon Episode 5, who knows? They may have a fourth album out at that point, and then we're screwed. Anyways, hope you guys enjoyed this extra special episode of Focus on Metal as we talk Saxon with Charlie Bauerfeind. Don't know what's in store next week. I've got a couple of things to choose from. Either way, it'll be metal. It'll be cool. But for now, until we talk to you again, for Richie, myself, and everybody here at Focus on Metal, have have yourselves a great metal week, and remember... Focus on metal! Everything else is insignificant.
It's over. Go home.